Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Get away from her, you bitch! Okay, um, very warm welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. You are listening to Ian McLaughlin, Dan Watkins, Peter Johnson, John Farben, and I'm Hazel Burton. Did everyone have a nice Christmas? Yes, lovely. Good. Lovely time. Thank you, Santa coming. Good, and welcome back, Ian. How's Thanks the very pan- much. How's the pantomime? It was great fun. Uh, we did lots of shows, uh, quite uh, testing at times. Especially Anik, if you're listening, Anik, thank you so much. We had to chuck a whole row of them out. Shame. Shame on them. Uh, but yes, it was great, and it's good to be back. Although, other Ian, other Ian isn't here, is he? He's not under the table, no. Uh, mm. Do you know we've never been seen in the same room at the same time, ever? That's odd. Yeah. We're building towards uh, two Ian's episodes, Are we? much like the two Doctors. <laughs> All right. um, did anyone receive any cool nerdy gifts? Oh, absolutely. Um, one historical, one Star Warsy. Um, my favourite historical nerdy gift was a Viking board game called King's Table, which is a little bit like chess, but there's a kind of attack and defence strategy to it. It's really good fun and is teaching me how to be a good Viking, I feel. Excellent. And on the Star Warsy front, I very gratefully received the Last Jedi visual dictionary that Dolan Kindersley do which gives me untold levels of unnecessary detail for the most minor of background characters. So I now know the full name and backstory for Adrian Edmondson's character in the film, which is absolutely not needed to enjoy the film, but I like knowing it anyway. <laughs> well, I got, um wasn't particularly a nerdy gift, but I got £50 Xbox voucher from my, my lovely partner, Beverly, and I have been binging on adventure-driven, sorry, narrative-driven games for the past week. Be brilliant. Right. Uh, I got a Game of Thrones Risk, which I'm looking forward to having a go at. So I like Risk, but I don't get to play it often. And uh, Game of Thrones hopefully gives it a new spin. It seems, it looks like you play it very similarly, uh, except obviously the board layout is Westeros, and there are like trade routes around the board. Uh, a lot of the areas seem to have ports, and you can go from any port to any port. I got two. I got one from Daniel Watkins, which I thank you very much, Dan, for my. Uh, Die Hard retold a Christmas nativity tale, uh, which is an excellent picture book which I enjoyed. Um, and my other nerdy gift I am wearing, but unfortunately this is an audio podcast, and it is my well, win- thankfully it's an audio <laughs> podcast. It is my uh, winners don't do drugs T-shirt, which um, anybody who played arcade games in the late eighties, early nineties will remember. Special screen from the FBI um, telling you not to take recreational drugs whilst playing arcade games. Um, so it's the logo of that on a t-shirt. I got uh, the Star Wars version of Monopoly, uh, which, even though it's got the name Star Wars on it, does not mean that it won't bring out the worst in people when we play it. Uh, and even though I owned both Death Stars, Death Star 1 and 2, I went out first, which was a bit unfortunate. Uh, actually, have your Nerdfest gift here. Can I open, open your gift Gosh. on air. Very exciting. So we've all done a secret Santa this year. We have, uh, yeah. Here's the other night, and he just left it at the house. We just got impressed with it. Oh. Uh, <laughs> what was it? It was a, it was a Superman um, money box. Mm. Super Saver money box with sweets in it. Sorry about that. I was rather drunk by the well, time yeah. I left your house. <laughs> and so what John has given me is the Ron Swanson pop figure, which is just awesome. He's my favourite character ever, and... Uh, 
was delighted to be, to be uh, retweeted. Oh, you've got it on the box. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my mother, um, bless her soul, makes me a birthday cake every year. And I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm 32 now and she still does it. Um, and she makes it in whatever TV show or film I'm into that year. And this year she made um, The Office from Parks and Recreation and, and did a load of wonderful detail like the bacon and eggs poster in Ron's office and the pyramid of greatness and everything. Just give me all the bacon and eggs you have. Wait, wait, I worry what you just heard was give me a lot of bacon and eggs. What I said was give me all the bacon and eggs you have. And I tweeted um, Nick Offerman to, uh, with a photo, and he retweeted with a comment to say legendary. <laughs> uh, so my mother went viral, which was awesome. Thank you, John. That's very thoughtful. Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only five days late. <laughs> Six days? What date is it today? I have no idea. Well, yeah, speaking of dates, so this is probably going to go out in 2018, so hopefully everything went well there with the transition to the new year. Um, but we are going to have a quick chat now about our favourite films of 2017 and what we most enjoyed going to see at the cinema. Um, the films I liked most were probably Dunkirk, Christopher Nolan's war film, uh, The Last Jedi, it was always going to rank highly. Uh, Blade Runner 2049, I absolutely loved seeing at the cinema. Um, one of those films that I couldn't imagine watching on a smaller screen. I think it has to have that cinematic feel to it. Yeah. Uh, Baby Driver I really liked. And a film that I'm not sure anyone else around the table has seen, Loving Vincent. Yes. Yes? It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Hand-painted. Explain a little bit about the film. Yeah, um, it's a film exploring the last days and weeks of Vincent van Gogh's life. Yeah. And every frame of it is an oil painting. A hundred artists spent five years in Czechia painting every frame of the film, using real actors and real costumes, and then using a very clever process to hand paint every part of the film so it looks like a moving van Gogh painting. And it takes a little while to get used to it, but once you let it wash over you, it is the most visually beautiful film Stunning I've ever seen. And when Don McLean's song starts playing at the end of the film and you hear the lyrics after seeing what happened to him at the end of his life, it just gets you right in the feels. <laughs> um, so from an emotional point of view, Loving Vincent is right at the top, as is Paddington too, to be honest. Um, you laugh, but... Everybody in that cinema, you could not hear the film for snuffles and oh, sobs yeah. at the end of that film. Tears of joy. The grown -ups. Yeah, grown-ups, kids, everybody. Just thinking about the end of that film makes me go a little bit like this. <laughs> it's, again, absolutely lovely. So those are my tips. Um, I have a very similar list to yourself. Um, I also greatly enjoyed uh, Dunkirk. I think because I, um, my granddad was there and uh, would often tell, ta well, he wouldn't often tell tales because it was very difficult to talk about, but um, when he did open up, he talked about having to steal a, a bike amid um, rapid gunfire. So when you, when I was watching it, I replaced the main character with my granddad and it got quite emotional thinking about the experiences that he faced um, on that beach. So that was quite powerful. But And I also think that the the timelines, you know, the fact that they were in the sky for an hour, on the beach for a week and on the boat 
for a yeah, day for a day I think that's right yeah um, that was very clever so I, I really enjoyed that one I also I don't know if anyone else saw this film but uh, one of my favourites was McEnroe versus Borg um, it wasn't what I was expecting I was expecting more aliens <laughs> Borg <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I, t- I put my top one as, as Thor Ragnarok, purely because um, I, I base my list on films I'm most looking forward to seeing again, and I've already seen that three times in the cinema. <laughs> lot, well, I've seen The Last Jedi three times as well, but um, I think from a, from a visual perspective, from an entertainment perspective and a comedy perspective, that one ticked all the boxes for me. Uh, obviously, Justice League. <laughs> no, still have, has anyone seen Justice League yet? Uh, nope. No. I came no. close. But you came close. Plans fell through. Things people haven't mentioned. Spider-Man: Homecoming was a a nice surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a bit sick of Spider-Man after the Amazing Spider-Man two and however many films in the last ten or fifteen years. But the idea of doing it as a John Hughes style rom com was a really interesting new take on it. And um, I also thought Tom Holland I thought was uh, brilliantly cast and I like that it was relatively small scale he wasn't trying to save the world it was just this uh, little nicely told story good stakes, brilliantly performed very very funny not sure what I think about Aunt May being hot but it's just not but, quite right yeah. is it <laughs> yeah. um, but really really enjoyed that and um, a film that I just squeezed in by watching last night that was another pleasant surprise was the Lego Batman movie uh, which popped up on Sky over Christmas, and I actually really, really enjoyed that. A lot of nice little callbacks to previous Batman films, and it's strange that the best film featuring Batman and Superman this year was a kids' cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think I agree with most of what people have mentioned already. Uh, one surprising omission maybe is Wonder Woman, mm. which no one's mentioned, uh, which I think was a surprise for everyone. At least. Um, most of all, because it was a decent DC movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I think I enjoyed all of those. Um, Dunkirk, you were talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. I managed to watch all of that without realising it was Harry Styles. And then was like really surprised. It's probably one of the better uh, musician as actor things that where you just don't think, oh yeah, it's a musician. Oh yeah, it's a musician. Like you mm-hmm. often do when a musician's in a film. Yeah, but he's no Ed Sheeran in Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> who, who could possibly match that epitome of um, natural fitting into a scene? Uh, Logan as well, also this yeah, year, yeah. which yeah. I, I know everyone likes. Well, um, I agree with the list, all the lists you've given there, especially Dunkirk. Uh, but the two films that really kind of got me this year and surprised me were kind of much lower, lower budget things. Uh, one brilliant film which I'm encouraging you all to watch which is called Dave Made a Maze which is a super low budget fantasy uh, about a out of work um, graphic designer who decides one day when he's bored to build a cardboard maze in his living room which is about six foot long and goes into it and when his girlfriend gets home uh, he tells his girlfriend that he can't find his way out because it's much bigger on the inside <laughs> so he has to get lots of friends and they go into this incredible maze and what's amazing about the film is the whole thing is just made with cardboard and paper all the rooms, the labyrinths, the monsters, all paper, and it's beautifully done. I thought that was that was a really, a really, really lovely new idea. And another film I really enjoyed was Anne Hathaway in Colossal. Have you seen Colossal? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed that film, just simply because it was a really unusual departure, because most of the film is just set in a bar, and it's all banter between characters. But then far away, in, I think it's Korea, I think it is, there's this kaiju attacking the world, and somehow they're linked together, and it's really clever. So that, that's my two recommendations of my favourite films. 
Alien Covenant, anyone? Yes, and you see, now I'm the big Alien franchise fan here. I think in the in the Nerdfest group, and even I was rather disappointed with that movie. Perhaps less so than Prometheus. Perhaps, perhaps less so than Prometheus, but it just it didn't really go anywhere. It didn't really do anything. Um, just revisiting old tropes. Um, the Alien itself was a bit rubbish. It wasn't particularly scary, and it was a gore fest for no reason at all, really. I prefer Prometheus because at least Prometheus was trying to do something different yeah. and went off of the story. And this one, it felt like somebody had had a word of Ridley Scott and no, we need aliens to get people to come and see this. Yeah. And it was, he wasn't interested in the aliens, he was interested in David's story and the engineer's story. And it just felt like the aliens were wasted in there. And yeah. But when he was first asked to, to, to do Prometheus and they were talking about doing the alien, and his, I think his quote was, the, the, the beast is cooked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And he refused to ever really use the alien again. And then, yeah, and then suddenly, oh, and he was full of alien. Yeah. Lots Mon- of them. Money for old trope. Yeah. Hey! hey. That's the first Christmas gag. <laughs> um, Bright was another one that's had pretty poor reviews. Um, yes. Anybody else watch Bright? Yeah. Yes. I'm, I think I described the writing process for Bright as Max Landis watching Alien Nation while snorting massive amounts of cocaine and just shouting at a terrified assistant, Right, this down, this is brilliant! <laughs> it's just an awful, <laughs> awful piece of shit. And, and yeah. I don't know who it was. Uh, and I apologise about bad language but the bad language was also part... Like the 80s action movies where yeah. you would swear and everything, all that was in there. But then it was elves and orcs, and who was it aimed at? And was it serious film and why were all the characters so unlikable and why was it filmed through sludge and why did no one at any point when Netflix was spending 90 million just sit down and go this is this is terrible or, or may, may they have originally intended to fund it release it as a movie and then have it on Netflix I think Netflix but are saying they're, 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 they're not going to do that I think mm. Netflix are, are always saying all their films are Netflix first, unlike Amazon, and Amazon are doing it the more traditional way. So the, I think the Big Sick was an Amazon film this year, hmm. uh, and they're going through the traditional thing of releasing it in the cinema, then putting it in the streaming services three or six months later. Whereas Netflix are possibly doing day and date, so they'll put it in the cinema for a week or so, so it qualifies for various awards. Um, which I don't think you know. I think the Golden Raspberry Awards don't necessarily need a cinema <laughs> release. No. Uh, how much do Netflix putting aside for movies next year? Is it five billion dollars? So, an awful lot of money. Yeah. yeah, I mean they've got a Scorsese film, haven't they? Mm. And I'm interested to see whether that gets a cinema release because you've got Scorsese, De Niro, Pacino, Harvey Keitel, and Joe Pesci all doing mm. a film together for the first time Been in twenty odd years. Dug up and wheeled out onto yes. the set. <laughs> they might have uh, spent all the money on the shoes, though. Yes, I saw the, I saw the. Was it, was it Robert De Niro in very in high platforms, shoes? Yeah. yeah, so he's the same height yeah. as Al Pacino. <laughs> I've heard a terrible rumour that they're going to digitally de age them all. Kurt Russell, Guardians of the Galaxy style, or. Why Michael, would they do that? Uh, because it's a film set over many, many years. Oh. So they're going to put digital masks on them. If used sparingly. That would be fine. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. in Civil War yeah. was done very, very yeah. well. If he'd been like that for half the film, it would have been distracting, I think. Mm. But if it's in little mini doses, that might be okay. Yeah, possibly. But I still, Jeff Bridges in Tron. On the note of um, Scorsese, is an interesting uh, true story. Uh, a good friend of mine, Stella Duffy, a uh, novelist. Scorsese bought the rights to one of her novels about a. Um, 
an Egyptian prostitute, the true story, who became queen of Egypt. He bought the rights off her for three years for £50,000, and the three years is just up, and she's just got the rights back. Mm-hmm. And they didn't do anything to the film. So she got £50,000 for nothing. Bargain? Yeah, Sweet. bargain. <laughs> or would she have preferred it to be a movie? I think she would have preferred it to be a movie. Being yeah. the person who wrote would, this yeah. movie. So. Yes. There's Hollywood scriptwriters who make a very, very good living never having anything made, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, it's quite a, f- a famous thing over there. Mm-hmm. And the what's it called? Is it called the blacklist? What it's called? Yeah. yeah. Every year's the that's the best unfilmed script. Yeah. But then when films are made based on it, they tend to be flops and terrible. Yeah. Well, one one of the the best um, scripts I read, screenplays I read, was um, um, uh, Passengers. Mm-hmm. And the screenplay was absolutely brilliant, but then they eventually, and that was on this list for years and years yeah. and years, and they eventually made it, and it was a real disappointment. Mm. Did it? Did it still have the twist that he defrosted her? Spoilers here. Um, <laughs> I think you have to. Yes, it's exactly that. But the ending's completely different. Mm. Uh, but it's just beautifully written script. Yeah. I just had a massive problem with that film. That it was such an awful thing. It essentially, he's murdered this woman or sentenced her to death, and she's angry with him for twenty minutes. So then they get back together, and I think it's. Uh, <laughs> it should be. A, it should be shot out into space. Which I think he was at one point in the film. He was. And she brought him back. Yeah. So on the last podcast, you may have caught our 3am initial reactions, (laughs) freezing cold initial reactions to The Last Jedi when we were out in an alleyway and basically just couldn't stand up because we were so tired. But um, our initial reactions from seeing that for the first time were overwhelmingly positive. But now we're going to dissect it a little bit more, talk about some spoilers. So if you haven't seen it yet, please come back to us when you have. Um, Yeah, and just do a full, full review of The Last Jedi. Let's see only way to become what you were meant to be. Darkness rises and light to meet it. I need someone to show me my place in all this. Come on! I'm still pretty positive about it, to be honest. I mean, there are some questions I might have. There might be a few little issues, but then I go and watch it again and still absolutely love it. I wouldn't necessarily rank it among my favourite Star Wars films, but that is not to say I didn't really enjoy it every time I watched it. I think going to see it for the first time with that diehard midnight audience did help quite a lot. Watching it again in a regular, I think it was a Sunday afternoon screening the things that got big reactions got much smaller reactions and people were still enjoying it but there wasn't that sense of excitement that you get from a midnight screening so it was quite nice getting that feeling the first time you saw it i'm less interested in knowing what happens next i mean you came out of the force awakens and you've got luke and that cliff sort of lightsaber pointing towards him and i couldn't wait to know what happened next I couldn't wait for The Last Jedi. And then I, I love the film, but I'm not sort of counting down the next two years because I don't think it ended on that kind of exciting cliffhanger moment. 
it just came. Yeah, but it gives episode nine a lot of license to do whatever it wants, mm-hmm. really. And I think that's what happened in episode eight, where it broke a lot of parameters that Star Wars is kind of known for. There's a certain formula, and you stick to it. And um, there's quite a lot of symbol symbolism with the line that Luke says to Ray, you know, this is not going to go the way that you think. And that was very much the case throughout the film. Um, a lot of things like that, handing over the lightsaber moment, he casually chucks it behind his shoulder. And that was a moment that we've been waiting for what would happen for two years. And OK, this is this is interesting <laughs> now. This is very interesting. Um, so I think it broke a lot of parameters. And for me, that's the right thing to do. You know, you've got to let the past die as the... Uh, as Kylo Ren says, and um, opening up to, to kind of new new ways of telling the story. So, does, does yeah. anyone else imagine J.J. Abrams coming in because he's doing the third movie and obviously he directed the first movie of this particular trilogy? It was just like, I set all this up and he just yeah. broke it. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder whether there's some retconning going on because obviously J.J. Abrams has some ideas, and then. Um, Ryan Johnson's gone in, broke them all, but can JJ fix them now? Is, is there going to be some kind of cost connection to try and put it back to where he wanted it? Well, I, th- I think some of the things that JJ set up, he didn't necessarily know where he was going with them. Mm. I think he's gone on record and said that in the case of Supreme Leader Snoke, mm-hmm. they put him in there, but they didn't actually know anything about him when they were writing him it was a more a kind of let the next guy figure that one out. Yeah. It turns yeah. out that the next guy is actually going to be him if they go back to that character. Can you just stitch him back together again? Yeah, yeah. he'll be fine. Right. The flesh wound. I think the biggest disappointment for the diehard fans is that Bruce Willis doesn't feature in the film at all. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a stormtrooper. I thought, I, I, I loved it. Uh, like Dan says, there's plot holes galore, things that don't quite make sense. And... Uh, Particularly the casino chase. You yeah. liked that? No, I didn't like that at all. Okay. I just not that I didn't like. It, I just thought, why is this in the film? Yeah. Why yeah. is this in the film? It was rather like an opening to a, a Bond movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, although, I, although I did laugh out loud at the opera singer. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, that, that made me laugh Whoa. out loud. <laughs> and uh, come on. point from the visual dictionary about the opera singer. Yeah. <laughs> she is from an insect-like alien species that previously has only featured in extended universe. Novels oh, right, and things yeah, like that. Yeah. Things you didn't need to know, provided by DK. Well done. Well done. Well done. Also, here there's going to be a, a Porg spin off movie. Uh, a musical uh, called Porgy and Bess. Oh. <laughs> Thank you very yourself. much. <laughs> Do we all like the Porgs? They're all right. We have to be careful. I'm sitting next to Daniel. Yeah. You know my feelings on Porgs. <laughs> Wonderful. He loves them. <laughs> we all know the reason why the pogs are there, don't we? Yes. Like they were just painted over space. Uh, so no, they were painted over real puffings because it was easier to stick a pog on top mm. than to digitally well, raise a, a puffing. It's a natural heritage site, isn't it? Mm-hmm, so you're yeah. allowed to shoo the birds away and disturb the natural habitat. So you had to keep the puffings in. Mm. I thought you said shoot the birds. You speak in that tone, John. But aren't you the only one among us who has a pet pog? I do have a pet pog. Yes. Yeah. It was a, a Christmas present for my girlfriend, which uh, she cuddles more than me now, which I'm quite, quite sad about. <laughs> um, Is there anyone here surprised? <laughs> um, following, following Chewie's roast pork scene, did anybody fancy a bit of pork for their Christmas dinner? I could have had a pork. That had a lovely glaze on it, didn't it? It did have a lovely really, glaze, yeah. yeah. That's very good. <laughs> did anyone else find the um, uh, the um, um, space cow milking scene rather oh, yeah. disturbing? <laughs> 
There's something a bit creepy about it. I don't know it's why. It's just the way that like it turned and looked at Ray and <laughs> were like, do you want some as well? <laughs> the cow looked like the cow's enjoying it a little bit too much. Yeah. That's my... And, you know, Luke's been alone on the planet a long, For a long time. time yeah. <laughs> and they, what are they called the um, the um, the nuns of the island? What yeah. they're called now? The caretakers. The caretakers. Of, of which the visual dictionary has a whole two-page section <laughs> about their evolution and habits. Yeah. Habits. Ha ha. Oh. Um, yeah, those are just the females. The males are all fishermen, and are once they? a month they come back to their village on the other side of the island, and they all have a big party. Yeah. And then the females go off to tend to the Jedi huts and the yeah. males go back off to sea again, bringing the following month's fish with them. There are screenshots in that book that suggest that more scenes were filmed with those creatures right. that didn't make it into the final the, cut the, of the There's film. a whole sequence Good. with them, apparently, that was shot but deleted where um, Luke and Rey are having a discussion and they see like some flames on the beach and Luke says, oh, um, yeah, once every three months or so, some pirates come and kill some of the caretakers, and Ray says, well, we should go and save them. And then Luke goes, well, no, because if you go and save them, the pirates will just send more pirates and you end up killing more of them. Sometimes it's better not to interfere. And then um, Ray ignores him and runs off down to the beach and they're just having the big party. And it was uh, Luke messing with her. Mm. And apparently there's some kind of moral lesson. Um, but the Lucasfilm story trips it made Luke too much of an arsehole. True. I think he definitely uh, uh, must win the title for the world's most extreme fishing as well. Mm. Yes. Ridiculous way to catch a fish. What, crash your eggs when you into them? <laughs> no, a massive pole stuck in the water. Huge jump across cliff. Yeah, it's like, I'm fish. still a Jedi, look at me. Yeah, that's probably mm. the reason why the X-Wing was underwater. He was using it to fish but found right. that laser fire was ineffective. Ah, Surely yeah. Luke's a terrible pilot. He crash, he's, there's at least two movies he's crashed his X-Wing in. <laughs> Do you see Mark Hamill's uh, apologised now on Twitter mm. for his comments? Was made to apologise, yeah. more likely. Well, he, he, he tweeted again today saying um, Disney had never to- Disney or Lucasfilm have never told me anything to say or not say. Um, so this is um, he he voiced some concern over the direction his character was being taken by Rain Johnson, um, and he said it at the time it didn't feel like that was something that Luke would do. Obviously, we didn't know at the time what that was, and now he has come out to apologise and said I should never have said those things in public. And what uh, Johnson's actually done now is create a wonderful wonderful film for the fans. So he's because he's basically yeah. saying that the, a Jedi wouldn't run away and hide. But then if you look back, Ben Kenobi, yeah. he mm. ran away and hid yeah. on, a, yeah. on a desert, and Yoda ended up on the swamp planet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's what Jedi does. It's, it's what Luke knows. But the, it's, it's odd that this has become a thing now, because in all of the press and magazine features leading up to the film, they all talk about how when Mark Hamill received the script, he didn't like the way Luke was being taken. Ryan Johnson and he sat down, had a long conversation about why Luke would be in that mental place, Hamill came around to it by the time they filmed it and everything was fine. Mm. And now suddenly now the film has come out and certain communities on the internet are decrying it as worse than the Emoji movie. And (laughs) seriously, and all this sort of stuff. Now it's become a big thing that he's had these thoughts, whereas in the lead up to the film, everybody was fine with it. But I felt his performance was absolutely awesome. Mm -hmm. I've never seen him better. 
than uh, than he is in this film, and um, he kind of he he embodied that going from uh, this excited kind of farmer boy who was kind of learning all these new things to now like being the proper Jedi that he is, being very embittered and uh, you know dis disheartened by the whole thing, and to make that transition is quite difficult. But Mark Hamill did it very very well, so I was really pleased with, and the the, the brushing of the shoulder when uh, Kylo Ren had fired. Um, all those <laughs> lasers at him, and uh, you know, do you think you got him? And he just goes, "Whoop!" What, what did you feel about the uh, uh, Leia's death scene? The, the Mary oh, Poppins yeah. scene. Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. Um, I, for me, one of the the best things about this film was the representation of women in it, and obviously uh, Leia, and obviously. It was very emotional watching that performance because of the wonderful Carrie Fisher, obviously. But the fact that Leia and um, Dan remind me what the character's called with purple hair, Laura Dern's uh, character. Admiral Holdo. That's the one. Holdo. They, um, <laughs> they worked very well together. They, they got on, they understood each other. Um, whereas previously in Star Wars films, I think female, female characters, even though they're, they're deemed to be strong, quite isolated and are not listened to very often. And Poe even mentions a yeah, battle that she has won, so he knows that she can do yeah, it. The, the famous battle of somewhere, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, sorry, Ian, I didn't realise I didn't answer your question. No, you so didn't. coming back to later. <laughs> Come back to Mary Poppins. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I just went off on my own little tangent. Um, yeah, I I thought that when um, the... It, it wasn't actually Adam Driver who blew up the ship, it was someone else in the end, but when that happened and Admiral Atwell, oh, rest in peace, they all they all went, I thought that would have been quite a nice way to go for Leah. Mm. Yeah, and I, if they had been going to rewrite anything following Carrie Fisher's death, that probably would have been a point to do it, but I think it's an interesting new version of the Force, because we know that Leia's a powerful Force user, but she's not a Jedi, she's not a Sith, she's got that sensitivity. And we don't know what she's been doing in the past 30 years to hone whatever mm -hmm. abilities she's got, much in the same way that Chirrut in Rogue One, as a Guardian of the Wills, had some Force abilities, but was not a Jedi. Maybe Leia's Force sensitivity mm -hmm. allowed that to happen in a way that we haven't seen before, because we've only really seen Jedi use the Force. Yeah, Would be a positive way of looking at it. Yeah. This whole thing about being able to beam a manifestation of yourself across the galaxy is a, is a new force power as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I was slightly less happy about that just because it seemed odd that everyone else's the blue. You know, you've got the lang visual language of the blue glow around you says, "Okay, this person isn't really here; they're, they're just a force projection." And then um, his not having the blue glow seemed a bit like cheating. Watching it the second time, you do notice where they go, look, his footprints aren't leaving any marks on the red. And uh, you, you you notice them much more when you know you're looking yeah. for it, but you didn't necessarily pick it. Also, it's interesting, his, his force projection, when he arrives, him and Leia hug. Mm -hmm. But when uh, <laughs> when Kylo tries to kill him with the yeah. lightsaber, goes straight through him. Mm. It's interesting. Is Leia aware that he's not physically there, though? I think she probably Using is. Using their twin powers. So she's just miming, in effect. Yeah, yeah quite mm. possibly. Mm. It well, could all be... Mm part of the ruse but also um, maybe the same force connection that Kylo and Ray have because they actually touch as well don't they so maybe there's uh, something in there it's fascinating yeah and that scene with Luke and Leia is one of my mm -hmm. that's mm. one oh, of the most yeah. moving no, scenes I in the film I think that's one reason me. they didn't because her go, you know the bit where she Mary Poppins is, uh, comes earlier in the film and they would have it difficult to have both if they 
killed her at that point, would have found it difficult to have that sort of resolution of the two characters at the end. I do think um, the, uh, Luke's got the best callback line in the film, though, when he's uh, right at the end of his battle with um, Kylo and says, see you around, kid. Which mm. is line from second or first? Han Solo says it when he decides, it's the first one, isn't he, when he decides to take his money and, mm-hmm. and yes. bugger off and not help out and says, see you around, kid. That was a really nice callback. I liked to also really liked how uh, Maz makes her return. Mm. A lot of people were complaining about that, going, oh, it's completely the news, but I loved the fact that she was in the middle of this outrageous <laughs> battle, still had yeah. time to have a chat with people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and one one of the complaints from the people who were looking, like deliberately looking for things to complain about, I think, was that how could a camera follow her around neglecting the fact that in the Galactic Senate, in all of the prequels, are these little, tiny little droids yep. who work <laughs> as cameras who zoom around all over the place. Dead easy to do. Stop complaining. <laughs> also, suspend your disbelief. The whole thing isn't real. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I think filmmakers should be given a degree of licence when it comes to creativity. You know, mm. it, 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 in the case of Lord of the Rings, yes, it would be very easy for Frodo and Sam to hop onto one of the giant eagles, fly across to Mount Doom and drop the ring into the fires and then be back home for before second breakfast. But, you know, where, where's the fun in that? And I, I, I do believe that there is a... There's a limit, obviously, um, but yes, yeah, suspension of disbelief is hugely, hugely important in anything like this. A, uh, <laughs> there's a school of thought going to Star Trek just for a second about when you're, you're beamed down to places that, that the way the process works is that your body is scanned and all of your molecules and atoms are scattered. That then is transferred, not the actual atoms, uh, uh, the information is transferred to the the point of where you're going to. And then they're recreated, so your original self is killed. Oh. And you are recreated, so you're a copy of yourself. A bit like The Prestige, yeah. spoilers for The Prestige. Yeah. <laughs> People are going, well, that's, that's ridiculous, you're just killing each other. It's, again, suspending disbelief, it's okay. Yeah. Uh, what, what did everyone think to the, uh, the Master Codebreaker uh, plot? I that thought it should have been. Research used to be Lando back there, wasn't it? Yeah. But would you have trusted him if it was Lando? Or would you have thought, mm. this is Lando redeeming himself, then he'd just behave yeah. rivet to type? Um, again, going to my very handy visual dictionary, it is confirmed in that book that Justin Theroux's character uh, the the, the, is the actual master mm-hmm. codebreaker they were supposed to get. Yeah. And the whole plot with Benicio del Toro was just a little... It wasn't part of the plan, which is probably why it so easily went wrong. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the guy they were supposed to get. I should mention for people listening that... Uh, Dan doesn't actually have the visual dictionary with him. This is all coming entirely from his memory. I did my homework before this record. He has a photographic memory. Yeah. I haven't told you about Adrian Edmondson's backstory yet. Flat share with teased it. Male. Yeah. Um, would you like to know? I think I think we need to yeah, know. Yes, yeah. I have a theory that uh, Hux is actually channeling a Rick Mail character when he's uh, <laughs> he acts him out. So they thought, well, let's get Adrian Edmondson in as well. Just have two of them together. Yeah. Um, yeah, Adrian Adamson's character is called Edrison Peavy and worked with Hooks's father in the very early days of the First Order. Hooks rose through the ranks, ended up getting rid of his father, and Peavy doesn't like his methods or his attitude, but he is a professional, so he will get along with Hooks despite having deep disrespect for him, but enjoys seeing Hooks being brought down. <laughs> so there we go. Absolute revelation to the film there. You'll see it in a whole different way. I do love that they've gone into all this detail for all these little characters that have one or, one or two lines or 
just background characters of doing a history for them all. Yeah, it's um, a guy in the Lucasfilm story group called Pablo Hidalgo, mm-hmm. who started off as a fan and got into Lucasfilm, worked his way up, and is now part of the inner circle, along with um, a guy who I think is called Leyland Chi, whose actual job title is Keeper of the Holocron. <laughs> and his job is to know everything about Star Wars, and what a good job that would be. I so imagine you doing that, Daniel. I would enjoy that. <laughs> Mastermind, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought the um, there was struggle to find something for Finn to do. That's the kind of I felt like it was. Yeah. Well, what should we get him doing? Like his entire story was a little bit point. I mean, he, all he did was make things worse, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. And then, mm-hmm. Although I did love his awakening when he's in the uh, the fluid suit running around the corridors, <laughs> leaking everywhere. That was hilarious. Yeah. One one thing I'm seeing it the second time, because um, I really wasn't keen on Rose at all the first time I saw it. I just took an instant. Mm. Uh, second time I was I was much more happy with her. I think and prepared to accept her. I had no idea why that should be. I found that I don't know why, but I found the kiss a bit strange. Mm. Don't know, it's like a, a romantic kind of interest that isn't really mm-hmm. required in the movie somehow. I don't know. It didn't. Yeah, I, I don't know. I get. I, I I got the end bit where she like she saved him because it's by, um, I don't know what what was it by force of love that we're going to overcome this rather than and hatred. And I, I you know what it is smutsy, but I I I agree with that mentality to be perfectly honest. So yeah, um, yeah. that was fine by me, but the kiss may be a little bit unnecessary. Well, she did entirely sabotage his plan and possibly result in the destruction of the base. It, by preventing well, yeah. destroying that big <laughs> yeah. one, but you know, when you're in love, <laughs> <laughs> do you think that's the end of Phasma? No, no. she'll be back, I don't think so. and in greater numbers. It'd be, it'd be far too much of a waste otherwise, wouldn't it? Of Gwendolyn Christie, yeah. Yeah. I think she's the Kenny of Star Trek. You're going to keep killing her. <laughs> of Star Trek, it's our war. I was playing Star Trek last night, so I will have my nerd badge in and. Uh, Go flagellate myself in the corner. <laughs> Do it quietly. Still recording. You'd be filling your shameful gaps with. You? <laughs> um, yeah, what, some of us noticed this and some of us didn't. The very end bit with the little boy um, who force captures the broom. Mm, I didn't see that even the second time. Isn't and that? I was looking for it and I still didn't see I it. Did, I thought it was a very nice symbolic gesture to say that the last Jedi is not the last Jedi because there's Jedis everywhere. Um, and the the future is bright. Yeah, it's kind of the message of you don't have to have Skywalker blood to be good at the Force. Yeah, same with Rey. I mean, the fact that her... The, one of the biggest lead up to this film was who will raise parents? Is it you know is it Obi Wan Kenobi or is it Luke? Blah, blah, and it was uh, no one. I think is a very strong message to have because Ray is making her own way in this world, no matter where she came from. It's not a a lineage thing. Um, she's got this something inside her which she's grappling with, but she's doing it on her on her own. But is that the truth of it? They were known. Well, JJ Abrams no, no. say, you, you messed up my story, I'm going to mess up yours. <laughs> okay, so finally, what would we score The Last Jedi out of 10? Uh, only because of the uh, Casino chase, uh, I would give it 8. Okay. Not the full 10. I, I, I wrote down earlier Space Horses, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I no. think I would give it 7.5, and, and I think I'll be proved. Right in the fullness of time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Exactly how that is proved. 
I think I need to see it again because I, I, I've only seen it once at midnight um, in a room of excited uh, Star Wars fans. And oh, I'm not sure if I will have the same reaction on a Sunday afternoon with 10 other people in the cinema. But I'm going to go for 8 out of 10 for my, my sole screening of it. Um, I, I'm going to go 9. I genuinely love it. And um, I... I've been to see it three times. I almost saw it again yesterday, but I decided to go and see The Greatest Showman instead, which was still enjoyable, but it was no Star Wars. But uh, yeah, I'm going to go for nine. I will give it an episode eight out of ten. (laughs) Nice. Nice. So now it's time for one of our uh, regular features called Shameful Gap. Uh, this is where one of us nerds who has not seen a nerdy film by now uh, and should have done um, watches that film for the very first time and then comes to the podcast prepared to talk about it. In the first episode, I reviewed Robocop, and for this episode, who is guilty? It's me. I am guilty. Shame. Shame. <laughs> what are you guilty of, Dan? I have never seen the John Carpenter film They Live. <laughs> <laughs> What do these things want, and why are they here? You still don't get it, do you, boy? They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you, all around you. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick... And I'm all out of bubblegum. So you watched it for the first time a few days ago? I did. And what's your verdict? Uh, my verdict is that I really liked it, but I can go into a little bit more detail. That would be good. <laughs> uh, I, I took a few notes. Um, things I knew about They Live before watching. The first one was that it starred the wrestler Rowdy Roddy Piper. Uh, and being a wrestling nerd, I knew all about his career and that he branched into films for a bit at the height of his stardom in the mid to late 80s. I knew about the line about kicking ass and chewing bubblegum because that's been referenced in all sorts of things I have seen. And I knew that it had a legendary, lengthy fist fight between two of the characters that then inspired the fight between Jimmy and Timmy in an episode of South Park. And almost frame for frame, as I understand. Apart from that, I didn't know anything about the film. So I went in not quite knowing what to expect. And I'm really glad that I really liked it. I was really impressed by Piper's acting in it. I thought he did the downbeat, down-on-his-look kind of guy well, just stoic, laid back, throw off the one-liners, fine. He did what he needed to do, and it worked very well for the tone of the film. At the start, I was thinking it was going off in quite a different direction. He goes to construction sites looking for work. He goes to the employment office looking for jobs and I'm thinking is this what inspired Ken Loach to do I Daniel Blake Uh, (laughs) but then it took a bit of a sci-fi twist and I've read recently in the news that the film's taken on a different kind of ownership with people whose politics are completely opposite to mine but I thought the anti-greed anti-Reaganite capitalist message was pretty clear right from the start with lines like the golden rule, he who has the gold makes the rules. 
which seems to be quite relevant today as well. The way John Carpenter does the lighting in the action scenes with flashlights and almost like strobes almost as riot squads come in and attack the resistance was really well done. It gave you a real sense of paranoia. I did think that Piper's character probably, because the film was made in 1988, same year as Die Hard, I think, mm -hmm. yeah. I did automatically go to who would win in a fight, John McClane <laughs> or John from They Live. And I'm, I'm going with They Live. I think he could take McClane in a fight quite handily. Um, it also started to make me think about some of the best performances by wrestlers in other films. And there have been lots over the years. Some have just been cameos, some have been a bit longer. And some of the ones that I came up with, around the same time, Andre the Giant was in The Princess Bride. Mm -hmm. Very, very good in that. You had British wrestler Pat Roach in Alphabet Saint Pet, and as the only actor other than Harrison Ford to be in all three of the classic Indiana Jones films. And in his wrestling career, in his later years, he took on the name Bomber, as a tribute to his Avvita Sain Pet character, which is quite nice. I did not even know Pat Roach was a wrestler. Yeah. I, I only knew him from Avvita Sain Pet. Yeah, I think, I think he got the acting roles through the wrestling and the TV exposure from there. Because he was so tall and such a big guy, he was perfect for roles like guy who gets his head in propeller mm. in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, more recently, you had people like Dave Bautista mm -hmm. in Guardians of the Galaxy and Blade Runner 2049. He's very good in that. Uh, you've got John Cena in comedies like Trainwreck with Amy Schumer. Yeah. And then you've got The Rock, whose film choices maybe aren't always the best, but yeah. he's usually dependably entertaining. He's normally the best thing in it sometimes. Yeah. He steals every yeah. scene. Mm -hmm. yeah. How have you got through that list without mentioning Hulk Hogan? He's all right in Rocky Three, Mr. Nanny, Suburban Commander. Mm. Mm. Yeah. There's a reason why I didn't mention <laughs> Hulk Hogan. I actually wasn't keen on... Piper's performance. Ah. Um, actually, I'll, no, I'll refine that. He's fine when he's not talking. He's actually really good when he's not talking. But there's loads of lines that are just real clunkers, I mean, including the famous one about um, about bubblegum. Mm -hmm. Even that is actually really badly delivered. Yeah. That's interesting because I, I came to it as a Piper fan uh -huh. and a lot of the lines that felt really cheesy and they didn't really work, like spotting the the creatures and calling them formaldehyde face and things like that mm -hmm. they don't work at all if somebody else was doing them but it's kind of classic Roddy Piper in a way and his character in WWE has terrible lines like that all the time and it kind of had that familiarity <laughs> kind of yeah that's a bit of Roddy Piper Apparently in the, there the, the kick-ass bubblegum line was improvised by Piper and it was one of the lines that he was going to use on one of his wrestling, wrestling promos. Yeah, I can I can well imagine most of the stuff he's saying in that are just things he's coming up with. So coming at it from a Piper fan, I find it I find it forgivable and even endearing. So <laughs> is his WWE character and his They Live character the same? Not quite. Is, no. In the WWE, is he paranoid and giving people sunglasses? Um, he doesn't give anybody any sunglasses, so <laughs> I think that was, that was Bret Hart, who Piper had a great match with in right. 1992. Yeah. Um, but, oh, I'm getting of confused. Course, yeah. Of course. Uh, Piper got famous as the antagonist to Hulk Hogan. So Hogan was the all-American 
great hero. In They Live, he would absolutely be one of the aliens. Uh, <laughs> Piper was the guy, the sneaky, backstabbing kind of guy who would get under your skin. And they had a big match on MTV in the mid-80s, which propelled WWE into proper mainstream consciousness for the first time. You had people like Cindy Lauper at ringside, and she was huge on MTV at the time. She was about to make the theme tune for The Goonies and put a load of wrestlers in the music video for The Goonies song. Uh, So Piper became really well-known for that, and he would host a talk show segment called Piper's Pit. And he'd bring all of the hero characters on, just insult them, and then attack them. So people wanted to see him get beaten up. And they would bring in celebrities for him to spar off, quite literally in one case, because Mr. T, also of Rocky mm. Three fame, had a boxing match with Roddy Piper at a WrestleMania show. So he was used, He was one of the first links into the mainstream. As his career went on and he became one of the the older people, he starts to take on a little bit more of his They Live character, like somebody who's seen a lot of stuff, someone who maybe hasn't been the best guy but is looking for ways to do it, but will still beat you up and just shoot you in the face, given the chance. Mm -hmm. Um, He doesn't shoot anybody in the face, on the wrestling, obviously. But it starts to play into him more as a a veteran character, somebody who's seen it all. He can see the young, new guys coming up. He knows their mistakes because he's made them himself. And because he'd been around for ages, he starts to become one of the people that people cheer and then Hulk Hogan turns up again, and of course Piper just has to beat him up with a lead pipe, and becomes a bad guy again. So he alternated between these two roles right up until he died a couple of years ago. So there's little bits of the character in there, but it's quite a departure. Did you see him in um, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? No. He's in two episodes of that, and he's absolutely amazing, and he's brilliant. It's like this crazy, demented wrestler guy. Mm. Not, a, not a big stretch, but... Yeah, um... <laughs> It was interesting, some of the technology in the film. Um, Sunglasses that show you the world how it really is, I don't think are out yet. But there Mm -hmm. were spy drones in there, Mm -hmm. which I don't know whether they were a thing in 1988, but they certainly get talked about a little bit these days. And you spotted these drones flying around, spying on the characters, and I thought that was a good little bit of futuristic predicting that they got right in the film. Speaking of the sunglasses, I, I, I read this was on the IMDb trivia page, so I make no bones as its authenticity <laughs> or not. But I really want it to be true. According to the IMDb trivia page, Rowdy Roddy Piper stole a pair of sunglasses from the set and then complained to the producers that they didn't work and that he could only see the aliens when he wore the sunglasses on the set and not, <laughs> when, he, not when he went out in the city. Yeah, it, it was the 80s. I can't imagine that he was completely sober throughout the making of the film Um, one of my favourite sequences in it was the big fight between Piper and Keith David's character Frank it's over five minutes isn't it Yeah, and what I really liked about it is the way that Carpenter puts the camera it's like he's a bystander in that fight following it as it goes round it's not played for spectacle it's not played for look how cool this fight scene is there's storyline reasons all the way through. Piper's character is trying to get Frank to put the glasses on. Frank doesn't want to put the glasses on, and they keep returning to plot reasons for them carrying on fighting mm-hmm. all the way through it. 
it's not just here's a really big cool action sequence it felt like there was a purpose behind it being there which was really nice in a way you don't get that quite so much in things like the Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom trailer for example <laughs> where the island explodes basically for the sake of it <laughs> and I didn't get why he was quite so adamant that he wasn't going to put the sunglasses on yes <laughs> probably because Piper's killed a couple of cops and as far as Frank knows this man he befriended is a serial killer and now he's cornered him and is trying to get him to put sunglasses on and is going to do who knows what violently to him shoot him in the face maybe because he does have a gun at that point I think I wouldn't want to put the sunglasses on either I don't think I just want to get away <laughs> and there's also there's also the weird line where Meg Foster's character is like well I could put the sunglasses on but I'd just say I saw stuff but that doesn't stop whether or not you actually see them. Yeah. It seemed an odd point. Well, she was movie. a baddie anyway, wasn't she? Mm. She Spoilers. Uh, spoilers for a 30-year-old film that I haven't seen. <laughs> um, but yeah, she turned out to be not to be trusted. So she must have just been making excuses in that scene. I did think every time she came into it, it went down a notch a little bit. It kind of slowed right down. And then suddenly something dramatic and action-packed would happen. Like being thrown out of a window or massive it's explosions. A terrible cut to that being thrown out of a window. It really <laughs> jarred. Mm. Yeah. Back to last week, was it a terrible stuntman being thrown out of a window? Yes. Mm. Yeah. 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 In slow motion. Yeah. Um, when Frank and Piper actually get into the aliens' headquarters, what was quite nice when they heard the evil plan, it wasn't people just talking about power or domination or anything like that. They were talking about things like 39% per capita growth and things like that. And it really hammered that money capitalist point home, which was quite nice. The The evil villains were in it for the cash and the power came as a side effect of that. They weren't just doing it to control the world. Apparently when John Carpenter pitched it, one of the universal execs couldn't understand why the aliens were evil. <laughs> oh... <laughs> and in that final sequence there's a really nice shootout in a series of corridors as they're making their way through a TV studio which got me thinking about great corridor scenes walk and talk yeah walk and talk in the west wing Um, there's things like old boy is a classic Uh, the raid Mm -hmm. has lots of bits in corridors and the first season of daredevil on netflix and I was kind of hoping that They Live was going to be a forerunner of some of those and just have wave after wave of alien guys <laughs> come after the main characters <laughs> in the corridor. It wasn't to be, but I enjoyed it anyway. And my final thing is I really liked a little meta reference to uh, John Carpenter right at the end. Two of the people, the aliens, I think, on the screen are talking about how there's too much violence in films these days and directors like John Carpenter really need to tone it down, which I thought was a nice little touch. But they left the ending quite open. They don't tell you what's going to happen next, whether the aliens just get accepted or whether everybody rises up against them. They just leave it. And I quite like that open ending. So overall, really like the film. Lots of stars. Cool. Um, okay, so just to round off this episode, um, let's do a quick preview of what films we're most looking forward to in 2018. It's quite a lot. Um, we've got things like Ready Player One. Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. Yep, Spielberg. 
Um, Spielberg makes a couple of entrances in the list, actually. Mm. He's got the post, hasn't he? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that one probably more than Ready Player One, actually. Mm. It looks just to be a standard newspaper drama, but Spielberg directing, Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep in the main cast. Bradley Whitford. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Bob Odenkirk. Mm-hmm. Um, or is it Bill Odenkirk? Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. yeah. Um, very good supporting cast. It's a film that I could quite happily go and watch and know I'll enjoy. Yeah. There's some big blockbusters out. So um, we've got The Predator, which uh, brings back uh, Shane Black um, as co-writer and director. Really looking forward to that. The first Predator is one of my favourite action movies. I'm, I really like Predator 2. I will go to bat at great length for Predator 2 being a really, really good film. Um, but since then, there's been some terrible ones. So mm. I'm looking forward to a Shane Black version, which I think yep. will be great. Um, tell you what, so I'm, uh, there's two films from this from the list I'm re- most looking forward to, aside from obviously Infinity, Infinity War and Deadpool Two. The first one's uh, God Particle, which is produced by J.J. Uh, Abrahams. Um, it's kind of a sequel, but not a sequel to um, Ten Cloverfield Lane, which was not a sequel to Cloverfield. Um, but it's a group of astronauts played by uh, Daniel Bruhl and, and um, Chris O'Dowd. They're stranded on the International Space Station after Earth mysteriously vanishes. Um, so which that's I'm, I'm quite looking forward to that one. And also the the Happy Time Murders, which um, it's set in a world where puppets live amongst humans. Um, and there's a puppet, Private Eye, who um, he goes on the hunt for a serial killer who's been taking out one by one um, all the cast from a um, hit 80s television show. And that looks really, really interesting. Called The, the TV show is called The Happy Time Gang. There's... Um... <coughs> Obviously, there's three Marvel films out in 2018... Uh, I will likely be seeing each of them. Black Panther, I'm mm-hmm. really looking forward to. Infinity War, Hazel, you mentioned already. Yeah. And then I believe Ant-Man and the Wasp is out in August, oh, yeah. which I don't quite know how that's going to fit in following whatever happens in Infinity War, but for it to come out between the two Avengers films, there must be something to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, is Ant-Man in Infinity War? Well, we were saying last episode that he wasn't in the trailer, but that doesn't mean anything because he might mm. just be very small. <laughs> right. Mm. I think an interesting one's going to be Annihilation, mm. mm-hmm. uh, which stars Natalie Portman. It's a female-led cast mm-hmm. uh, about a group of researchers who go into this dead zone to, to try and track down uh, Natalie Portman's missing husband. And it looks like a kind of cross between Alien and Jurassic Park and, and uh, Monsters and movies like that. It's, uh, that sounds good. Yeah, Alex Garland wrote it. You know, he did he did Ex Machina in Twenty Eight Days Later, which I think is a. I don't like zombie movies, but that one if I had to pick one would be my best zombie movie. And uh, one of those films starred Alicia Vikander, who is in Tomb Raider She's in, in Tomb March, Raider. Oh, yes. which might be good. It could be, yeah. It could be good. It's Laura Croft. I don't care how bad the film is, as long as she's in it. <laughs> are we looking forward to um, Solo? Or are we a bit? wary of it in terms of what's happening there it's in it's in the I'll probably see it mm. but I don't know whether I'm looking forward to it camp that I'd also put mm. Jurassic World 2 in and The Crimes of Grindelwald I'm a little sad I'm a little sad it's coming out in May because to me now Christmas is Star Wars time is it still coming out in May well mm-hmm. it is according to the list but, but Mike put it back I guess but I heard um, 
he's reshot 18 90% of it. Right, okay. Well, you know, Ron Howard's not exactly bad hands to have any kind of movie in. He's mm. uh, one of my favourite directors, so I'm, I'm trep- in, with trepidation looking forward to it. Do you think we'll get to see a young Wookiee? Hope so. No, um, how long do we have Wookiees in there? Wookiees are supposed to be very long-lived, aren't they? Well, I think. Um, I'd like to see like a, like a teenage Wookiee would be hilarious. We might we, see we, Lumpy be born. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're also going to see Tom Hardy's version of Venom. That mm. looks very interesting. Yeah. I, I love the, the concept art for Venom himself. It looks brilliant. It does, doesn't it? I'm really intrigued by that one. Really Despite scary. Spider-Man 3, which is the only movie I've watched in a cinema and walked out of. Really? Really, yeah. When I was a kid, uh, Venom was my favourite Spider-Man character. I, I sort of grew up reading Spider-Man comics about the time Venom came into it. Um, so I kind of got some investment in the whole storyline and Spider-Man 3 made me sad. Not a bit sad. There's a film out in May called A Quiet Place, which is directed by John Krasinski, who oh, okay. is in the American office, yeah. but directs films as well. And he and Emily Blunt play the parents of a family in a world where strange creatures hunt humans by sound. So they have to stay as quiet as possible. Otherwise, they're going to get got. I have seen the trailer for this, yes. Mm. That that could be quite good. And on the complete opposite scale, anybody looking forward to Rampage? Of course. (laughs) Massive ape. Massive ape. Massive ape. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Uh, what else we got? Um, yeah, Tom Cruise is back in Mission Impossible 6. Oh, I, I just want to see, was the moustache worth it? Was, is Henry Cavill's moustache worth it in Mission Impossible 6? Because this is famously the yes. moustache he wasn't allowed to shave off for the, the Justice, um, League. Justice League V shoots. <laughs> I just really hope it is an impossible mission and he dies. <laughs> and this, yeah, you're up to six. The first five would clearly yeah. not impossible. They're very ironically titled. It's like, yeah, you just yeah. need a, some Mission laxatives. And, uh, yeah. Quite hard like... mission doesn't have quite the same. Right, a tesseract. Yes. Right, what's a tesseract? It's a shiny blue thing. Yeah, from which films? From the Avengers. Yeah, so interesting. There's a film called A Wrinkle in Time mm-hmm. coming out. Uh, is, is in which really the tesseract. Think, what? Is that a really old story? I don't know. Not a famous sci-fi. I was, I was looking at the trailer that, uh, uh, last night, and 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 the, the I'm wondering, is, does this somehow, in a weird way, fit into the Avengers universe? I don't know. Yeah. That would be nice if they just did like Cloverfield Lane style, a very low budget little film that just sneaks in there, and then at the end you realise you're, you're within the Marvel universe. It's basically uh, uh, two young kids going hunt, uh, go to try and trace their father, who's discovered an, an unknown planet, and travels there via the Tesseract. And they follow him and try to save him. Um, cool. So that was uh, films that we're looking forward to seeing in 2018. Uh, get involved with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at NerdFest UK. Uh, let us know if there's anything that we have missed talking about that you think we should see. Or, in fact, if you disagree with anything that we have said, uh, particularly around The Last Jedi. Let me really like to hear from you and have some well-intentioned discussions. Any facts we've got wrong as well, Twitter like to tell us. Yes. Yeah, please do. For now, just to say thank you very, very much for listening, and we will be back for another episode very soon. You have been listening to... Ian McLaughlin. Dan Watkins. Peter Johnson. John Farthing. And I'm Hazel Burton. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. I 
love you. I know.